Yeah, look at me. Look at me in the eyes. You say you didn't get much reading done. How many books have you finished this week? Uh, this week I finished one. Okay. Or maybe two. But okay. I have to say, um, I did get this. I bought a like a bulk, like a lot of these Doctor Who novelizations. Oh, and they're Jesus like Christ. 120 pages. And you can just like tear through them. They're super, super fun. I'm going to ex- expect when you finish those to do uh, a, a scatter shot where I just question you about your Doctor Who knowledge based entirely off of just your reading of those books. And I also want a synopsis of those books. Okay. Like your favorite yeah. and lot favorite. We're going to do this. My I'm favorite, excited. Yeah. To, I'm excited to hear. I'm excited to live vicariously through you through these Doctor Who novels. Well, and they're the uh, older, older Doctor books. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can yeah, tell yeah. you my favorite Which will one. be a question. Which will be a question of after reading these, which is your favorite literary version of these Doctors? We'll find out. Well, I will say, I, I'll say this up front. There's a couple different authors who have, who wrote these books around this time period, like mm-hmm. 70s, 80s, and one of them stands out as a very good writer within this Douglas format. Douglas Adams. No, his name is Terrence Dix. Okay, because um, Douglas Adams did write for Doctor Who. I didn't. I didn't know that. But the, there's a few yeah. other writers, and they just don't really have the the pacing down pat. Like Terrence Dix is the easiest to read because it's like it's always moving forward. It's always exciting. The others are a little bit. I won't even say they're too serious. It's just like. I don't know. It, it it drags. Have you watched classic Doctor Who? I've I've I haven't. I've seen like an episode here here or there, so but it's classic, not really something. So classic Doctor Who is long form. It'll do a story over the course of like three to six episodes. Mm-hmm. They're really long. They're really slow. They're not bad. Some of them are bad, but they're not bad. It's just, they just take a different pacing than modern Doctor Who. And modern Doctor Who will tell a similar story in the course of one episode, and it'll feel fast and rushed and sometimes to its detriment and it's like there's some sort of happy middle ground where you have less time than classic who but more time than modern who and it it makes like a nice like i don't know there was one season of peter capaldi's doctor who where they split everything into two parts every almost every episode in the season was a two-parter and i thought that was really good and i thought they should stick with that but there were some uh formatting issues that came about with that uh, mm-hmm. But I liked it because it was always like a mid-episode cliffhanger, and you'd have to wait till the next episode to find out. And that's kind of what the old Doctor Who stuff did. It'd be like, oh no, a gunshot. Did it hit the Doctor? We'll find out. Oh no, he's fine. He's yeah, fine. yeah. Was you like a jelly baby? <laughs> there, have you had a jelly baby? What? No, I don't think so. It's, they're, they're like little gummy candies. They're like, uh, I imagine them, I've not had an official British jelly baby, but... I imagine them to be like if Sour Patch Kids weren't sour and were just gummy candy. That's see, how I, I imagine. Yeah, I would imagine the British version of that would be like extra sour, and I could just see someone eating it and being like, mmm, isn't that good? It's like, oh, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, the reason I asked you of how many books you finished in this week of bad reading is uh, you finished two, and it takes me like a month to finish two books. So, like, you, Mr. Connor, reads way more than me, Boyle, had no problem reading and finishing books in a week where you said you had no time to read. Yeah. But normally you're finishing like three or four books a week, right? Uh, It depends. You know, I go through periods of like where I'm really consuming a lot, but usually like two a week, you know, like two, I could finish like two decent sized books a week um, if I, if I don't have a, you know, if I have the energy, but yeah, it, this was just 
you know, I, I did get some reading done, but I did it in like on the, you know, when I would have a day off, I would read a lot. Yeah. It was just kind of these little short, you know, or these long sprints of reading rather than these, you know, various reading over the course of a week. Do you, do you find that since we've started this podcast, you're reading more than you were before? Well, by the way, this is the Dadlit podcast. Yeah, this is leading leading in, leading in. Hold on. Answer the question, sir. Don't dodge the question. I find that I am reading Sir, I'm going to need you to answer the question. I find that I am. Time I'm, is up. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. What is your final answer? Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, leading into this, uh, the reason I asked you about since we've started the podcast is um, – this has been a year now. We've we've been doing this for a year. Uh, last month was uh, when we started the podcast. In February of a year ago is when we started the podcast or posted our first episode, rather. I think we were recording a little before that. Yeah. Um, and uh, we wanted to do something for it. So this is Dadlit. It's a podcast we do about books. This is my co-host, Connor Boyle, and I am Chris Ludwig. And we are happy to have been doing this for you for a year. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's answer some questions about that. Let's give the people a little bit of insight into our experience. Um, so you say you you I I rushed you, but you say you 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 find that you do read more since you've we've started doing this. Yes. Well, you know, I I, I want to say that, you know, we're not. I'm not an, after doing this a year. There's a, a lot. I've learned, I feel like, you know, Chris, speaking for Chris, I would guess you'd say the same. Oh, absolutely. Um, doing a book podcast, you know, the episodes we do, uh, certain episodes I feel like we really need to prepare for a lot. Others are mm -hmm. much more kind of let's just go through the story and talk about it. Yeah. So um, in terms of my own personal reading, like the books we read for this, I, I try to, you know, we're, we're working under, we, we, we set deadlines for our, for each other. Or we try and record. Which I never meet. Right. But I try and take my time reading the books for the episode and, you know, uh, developing notes for them. So that takes mm -hmm. longer. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, that's – I'm not doing it for the podcast, but, like, that's my experience right now with reading Moby Dick is instead of just reading it and enjoying it for what it is, which I'm surprised at how much I'm enjoying it um, – I'm taking a lot of notes because I'm adapting it and writing my own story based on it. So like I'm looking at it a lot more structurally and um, mechanically than I would normally any book, even for the podcasts. Uh, like it's, it's more of, I, it wouldn't even be like a book report. It's like really like just like a break, a breakdown chapter by chapter analysis of what's going on and what content is being covered and what purpose it serves to the story. It's interesting. Um, yeah. Regardless of what, you know, your intention is, if it's like, I think anyone who does that, it's go It's going to help you be a much more conscientious reader and look yeah. at more things like structure, characterization and pacing and kind of, you know, have a better sense of when those things work well and when they don't work well. But I've definitely um, found that I've started like in just like my personal reading um, thinking about that kind of stuff more, but also like I'll slip into moments of like who I would cast in a book I'm reading or like I'll, I'll, I'll notice a, a checklist item and be like, Oh, that, 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 ding, there's a checklist item. And it's like, wait, this isn't for the podcast. Why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah. The, and I'll say that when I'm not 
reading dad lit stuff, I try and kind of use my other reading as like a, uh, to almost like blow off some steam, you know, like I'll, I'll read much more lighter stuff, even though the stuff we read for this show is not necessarily, it's not Moby Dick, you know, but it's not always like super, you know, and, and, and paying attention and writing notes for it makes it a little bit more of an intense experience than, you know, laying in a hammock on a Sunday afternoon and reading Clive Cussler, you know, we're, we're reading Clive Cussler. Yeah. Yeah. It's really weird because, like, uh, some of the more, like, casual reading that I would say for, like, dadlet purposes, which we haven't talked really about him much yet, but, like, Michael Crichton. I can breeze through his books super fast. They feel super casual. Nothing feels too clunky or um, technical. Um, Technical. Um, But I, like, I'm really enjoying the, like, purpley prose of Moby Dick and, like, that classic literature vibe, and I'm really enjoying... Like, one of my favorite books is The Woman in White by Wilkie Collins, which is another, like, very purpley prose, very beautifully written, like, book that's, like, I don't know. Like, I almost wish it could be read for dad lit. It probably could. But um, I'm finding that I really like the, like, artistic writing just as much as I like uh, a page turner. Yeah, something that's uh, Baroque, you know. Um, that, that, that has, uh, some ornate, you know, phraseology and some, some weird, weird language, weird vocabulary. There's something, you know, there is nice, it is nice to read that. Um, and yeah, it, it, I think he just, I, I find that I, I have not been reading stuff like that for a long time and I've just been reading a lot of, um, you know, what you might call like commercial general audience literature um, and even though like, but, but again, like e- even within that, you do find like gems and like, I feel like your I feel like your tastes, uh, stray more toward like pulp and horror and, um, like strange fiction. Like you've been le- reading some like splatter punk and stuff like that. Um, well, it's funny. I'm reading like, something. You, yeah. Go, go ahead. Sorry. You, you have, you, have, you like just from the things that you post on your Instagram, I, I noticed you have like a, a very wide range of genres that you explore and like delve into yeah i mean i'm reading something right now that is technically it's the sequel to hb lovecraft's the color out of space his his short story the color out of time it's by this guy michael shea he passed away i think like seven years ago but he was a horror author and he wrote some like lovecraftian stories and this is a horror out of time and i believe it takes place like 40 years after the I'm events really, of the co- really, I've, I've already said this, but I'm really curious about that book. So let so me know far, more when you yeah. finish it. I'll say so far I've been enjoying it, but the reason I bring it up is because when you talk about like Baroque and purple prose, I often think of Lovecraft because, and we talked about this in our Halloween episode, his writing style is very ornate and it's it's kind of a turnoff for a lot of people. Like if you don't go to his writing expecting that. I, okay. But here's you, the you thing, might Connor. be you you might be surprised like he's so popular and then people read him and they're like oh my god this is really difficult and stupid like you know I find his writing on par with like Jules Verne it's very it's clunky like it's old and it's it's wordy and it, it's sensational in certain ways that I I like about like. Lovecraftian style stories of like it's you like recounting in a state of madness your story to someone at a tavern that you just stumbled into and they're like oh my god sir are you okay I saw it upon the night and it was there and it was thus that I was struck with a terror like it's it's very I don't know I don't equate it with 
Moby Dick or uh, The Woman in White. Like those have a different art to them where it's almost like you're reading poetry. Yeah. Th- there's um, some some people who I guess some people who pick up the the Lovecraftian, you know, um, material and they want to move it forward. They want to write a modern Lovecraft story. I don't know. It's just interesting to me I to see. To I s- think most of the most popular Lovecraftian stuff isn't by Lovecraft, though. That's like a lot yeah. of his mythos was expanded upon and expounded upon by different authors uh, like. um Oh God, the the King in Yellow and yeah. all of those stories. Robert weren't Chambers, Lovecraft. yeah, yeah, and uh, a lot of the Cthulhu mythos was built upon and by other people, and uh, what you're reading right now. So, so I guess some too. some authors take this style as well. They they write in the yeah. Lovecraftian voice, and I find that to be a little like less enjoyable because it feels kind of like pastiche. And, you know, I think of writers and, and not to say it's bad, but it's just sort of like, uh, you don't need to do that. Then there are writers like Laird Barron, who writes Lovecraftian style fic or Lovecraftian fiction, but he has a completely his own style, his own voice. And it just uh, I don't know. I, I kind of enjoy that a lot more as opposed to the sort of like about I've good, heard yeah. good things about his writing. I'll have to, like, look into that. A little I can bit. send uh, you some stuff. Our, our, uh, our our friend uh, Corey really really likes his stuff. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we we did some Lovecraft for the Halloween episode, and it was very interesting to me. I I read a bunch of the short stories from his like uh, Dreamlands cycle or whatever you want to call it, like the stuff that takes place in the dreams. And I thought it was really interesting that like um, structurally and um, prose wise, it was very Lovecraft. But like the content wasn't anywhere near her- as horrific as I was expecting, or as weird as I was expecting. It was a lot less of like unspeakable, undescribable horrors, and it was more of someone having the most wonderful experience of their entire life, and then de- being deposited back in the mundane life, and being like, I can't even remember, like like the passing of a dream. I don't remember this wonderful thing that I experienced, and that's the horror is that I can't remember being in this fantasy land or like I am back in my mundane life and I'll never find my way back to this heaven that I found. That's the horror. And it was really interesting that like, that's the experience I had with those stories except cats of Ulthar, which was actually horror. And that was good. So getting back to your question though, I, I, you know, I wanted to turn it back to you. You asked me since we've started this podcast, have I been reading more or less? What about you? I knew your answer was going to be more, but um, I've been reading more. Um, I've always had an attention issue just in everything. I have too many hobbies. I have too many friends. I have uh, too many directions that I'm pulling myself on like a daily basis. So I've always had trouble like focusing on reading something. And I would say like before we started the podcast, I would maybe clear like f- five books a year, maybe five to ten books a year. And... Uh, now it's closer to like a constant, like one or two books a month, um, which is really good for me. And I've been, I think it's just good in general, but I do find that a lot of my reading slants toward the podcast and that I find it a little hard to slip in my own reading into that schedule. Yeah. I think, you know, I found that, that reading for the podcast, like I enjoy a lot of the books we read, but the fact that I have to kind of, 
I mean, we do this podcast voluntarily. It's not like, you know, we're not financially dependent on it. And no one's putting a gun to our head. But because we have to read these things or because, you know, for an end purpose, sometimes I find that I procrastinate, you know, or like I want to read something else right now. So there is that quality of it where it's just like, I just don't want to do it right now, you know, because I have to do it. Yeah. But but then yeah, I, I read it and I'm sure. like, it's it's not, you know, it's it's I'm like, oh, why did I why was I pro- procrastinating? This isn't like, you know, getting a tooth pulled or writing a really, you know, boring essay. It's you know, it's it's fun and it's always interesting. So I like writing boring essays and I'm about to depart on a very interesting compare contrast essay that I've uh, decided to embark on on my own free will uh, in that a friend and I watched um uh, a brand new anime that's based on a classic anime it's like basically a remake and it's very different in the way that it's approached the story and content and it's a lot shorter and so the minute i watched the first episode i was like i'm gonna write an essay on this when it's over comparing it to the original and comparing the two storytelling methods um and they just finished their last episode of the season so tomorrow I watch it with him, and I, I probably will sit down right afterwards and begin writing. Um, but I, for some reason, every time I've had to write an essay, I find that I have, like, no problem focusing on that. It's easier for me to focus on, like, writing something than it is for me to be focus on, like, reading something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess because the writing process is, like, an active participation, and the reading process can be passive, or you can, like, do it while you're doing other things, at least for, like, audiobooks. Uh, but even left from like sitting down to read a book, I think that like everything tugs at my attention. Whereas when I go into like writing mode, I become like tunnel vision and I don't folk like I don't realize other distractions. See, I I um I, I don't. I mean, I haven't written an essay in a while, so I have to. You know, <laughs> it's been. I I after graduate school, I'm like I kind of tried to. Uh, be much more leisurely, you know, with my reading yeah. and my writing. So I've only, I've only written like two or three essays since college, but it's b- because people like hired me to write their essays. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And I like strangely enjoyed the process. I think I liked it more writing other people's essays. Cause not, none of my own grade was on the line. Yeah. You told me you wrote like a Stephen King essay for someone. That's really yeah, cool. It's the only reason I've read Stephen King is because uh, a kid was taking a Stephen King class um, and didn't have time to write the, like do the work for it. He was so focused on the rest of his curriculum. Um, so he, uh, came into the, the bar I worked at and was like, Hey, does anyone here want to write for me? And I was like, yeah, maybe. What is it about? And he's like, I have to read a Stephen King book and then watch the TV movie and compare them. I'm like, and in my head, I was like, and you are going to pay me to do this thing I would do for free. <laughs> so. Yeah, and not only did it get me into reading Stephen King, but it also introduced me to my favorite Stephen King story, which is Salem's Lot. Well, that's good. That's a nice introduction to it, you know. You get yeah. get, get some cash, get a some money in your pocket and you discover Stephen King. Yeah. Um as speaking to um the podcast and Getting back to our script. Whoa, whoa, Just whoa, say it. whoa. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but like, I, I've written a few questions here for you. Yes. Um, and I, I guess the first one would be before we even started the podcast, when you approached me about it and asked me 
if I was interested. What did you envision? Like what what in your mind was this podcast going to be? Like how how did you what were you expecting the podcast to be when you came up with it? Well, I'll say that to start off with, I was expecting a lot more consistency across the dadlit books that we looked at, and I expected it to be a lot easier to go through the checklist and apply things and identify things and point out similarities. It's not necessarily difficult to do that, but I thought the similarities would be a lot more obvious, and because of that, I thought that the format, you know, the structure of this show would be a lot more... Um, I don't know, like chap, not chapter, like in terms of the book, but I thought that we could zero in on dadlit things like, oh, guns, girls, exotic locations, and that we could talk about, you know, that the, they would have like segments basically for this show. But all of those things, you know, you, you can find guns in all these books. You can find girls. You can find exotic locations in all of them, or mo- at least most yes, of them. the exotic location of New York City. But they come in different measures and have different contexts. So I thought that we would kind of have a one-size-fits-all format for looking at these books and talking about them. But they're well, different. We, we kind of we kind of did eventually fall into that a little bit. Like now, now we talk about like plot synopsis, rate it, mm-hmm. checklists, or, or rather checklist, then rate it, then do like a cast off thing but it's definitely not the format we originally yeah um, thought with like segments and now we're going to talk about this now we're going to talk about that it's like we do that but it's it's much broader and more general than i initially imagined and and originally we weren't going to do synopsis um we were just going to expect that the listeners have read the book or um would read the book or wouldn't care and uh like the first episode we started recording, um, uh, what was it? Night probe, night probe cluster. Yeah. Um, we ended up, we, we did end up discussing the plot and we went way too far in depth on it. And, uh, it, it went a little overboard. Yeah. I will say right off the bat that something I realized about these books is that, you know, although the story is, you know, it's a, their action stories, their adventure stories, there is so much plot. Well, I'll just say that there's so much like that's not essential to the plot, but stuff that happens. And if you go into every little thing, there's so much that you can get bogged yeah, down. Yeah, especially with that book. And I think that was a good learning experience because that book has uh, a lot of like a spaghetti bowl of plot of just so much going on at the same time and so many characters in play and politics and stuff. And, um, I mean, we still do some in-depth synopsis and things, but I feel like we could even cut some of that stuff back and it would be enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, um, I think yeah. we could get down to like a, honestly, like a 10, 15 minute plot synopsis. But the issue is is that I do like talking about some textual stuff and pointing, you know, pointing yeah. out, you know, like and, the writing, which requires a little bit more of a kind of deep dive so people know what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. If, if you're going to discuss plot elements, it's good to have covered the plot elements. And especially for some of the people that might not want to do the homework and read some of these books. I mean, um, I would hope that that there is some appeal to this podcast. And we don't have many listeners. You know, we hope to have more, of course. But I would hope that there's some appeal to this podcast for people who have never read these books. And I've talked to someone who listens to it, and I know she doesn't read these things. But, and she seems to enjoy it. So I would think that, you know, 
we're doing an okay job at it, it, it you know that people don't feel like we're talking about something they have no clue you know uh, of what it is yeah um to answer my own question i thought we were going to go into this reading bad books uh, I mean, I'm not trying to put any any of these authors or any oh, of these books oh, down. But like, we will. We'll get there. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sure we will. But, like, I was expecting a lot more of it right off the bat. I was expecting, um, I mean, I knew what I was getting into when we say Clive Cussler, and I, I enjoy his books. I knew what we were getting into when we discussed Lee Child, but, like, I didn't know a lot of the other things that you were going to bring to the table or a lot of the other things that we would discover along the way that we wanted to read. And I had no idea what the quality was going to be. And I figured a lot of it was going to be discussing a lot more problematic books and subjects and content than we have covered. And um, I've kind of been surprised at like what we've picked and what we've gotten out of it. I, I think we've, we've gotten kind of lucky with some of the things that we've, we've read. Now, let me ask you, when you say problematic, you know, one of the the checklist items is like, uh, like a misogynistic approach towards, towards, towards women. Um, yeah, these sort that was of like, one of them. Yeah. Races. Well, I thought there was going to be more racism. I thought there was going to be more um, uh, harsh political views. I thought there was going to be more... Um, I don't know. Like it's 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 interesting what my my view of what Dadlit was going to be going into this versus what it is now. Okay. What's the next question? We kind of touched on this, but like what are you, what are some things that you weren't expecting? Like what what did you get out of this that like surprised you? Well, you know, like I said, that that we can't really do a one size fits all. That there's that there is a sort of lot of narrative. There's a decent amount of like narrative diversity. Um, structural diversity in in these books, um, even though they have a lot of other similarities. I mean, uh, we talk about Dadlit. Uh, we're talking more about thrillers. I think about like you know thrillers and uh, authors who write thrillers and different approaches to it. And I guess what not that the it's music video thriller. The yeah the song the album the dance. Um, we talk yeah, about that a the, lot. Um, the director who killed a bunch of people on the set of the Twilight Zone movie. Oh yeah, that's right. I didn't. I didn't know John. Land- <laughs> I, I feel like I maybe heard that at some point, but yeah, John Landis. Yeah, that that music that music video is one of the things that like propelled his like popularity and success. Yeah, he did American Werewolf in London and Animal House. He as did well. a lot of interesting yeah. good movies for someone who's an awful person. I know and his son's an awful person too, and he also makes good things, and it makes me sad. But anyways, uh, yeah, um, I was surprised by how many of these books I ended up liking more than I expected to. Um, like, I don't, I don't think I've disliked any of the books that we've covered. And, uh, I, like you said, there's, there's no one shoe fits all. They've all been so different in, in different ways, which, which we should have expected, right? Like authors are very different and, no two authors really like like write similar and even though some of the subject might be the same like crime literature or mm-hmm. wars or spies or whatever they all are approached so differently like right now i've been reading or uh listening to a lakari book uh that you recommended me mm-hmm. and it's interesting how different it is from a bond book or from another kind of spy book that i've read um and the same thing can be said for like westerns. Even though I haven't read too many westerns, it's interesting 
the different approaches people take to like tone and vibe and setting like versus like one of uh Kussler's, um isaac bell books that take place in the old west versus like blood meridian where blood meridian's almost like this surreal horror uh versus like the glorified nature of most westerns mm-hmm. yeah i'll i will say that it just occurred to me one thing that did surprise me is how much i didn't like tom clancy um yeah is yeah it, and i kind of i liked the book i liked the book but like his writing didn't do it for me i don't want to say he's a bad writer because i don't think that's true he's not but I he's, think a, he's really good at organizing and, and like plotting a story out he's a bad like he's a bad storyteller i would say yeah his storytelling isn't great and his his characters just didn't have any sort of charisma to them in my opinion well i think that he is a great great his the the hunt for red october is a great thing to study to kind of understand the genre of thrillers and military thrillers in particular. Um, yeah, and like a, we said, it's like the, the birth of Dadlet. And, like, there's a lot of... It, it goes so far above and beyond in its, like, technical data than most things do. I think with thrillers, there's certain like objective things that a lot of authors like to do they like to provide like like on the checklist scientific exposition they like certain character types but i it kind of when i read tom clancy i realize that you know writing this may seem naive but it's like a, a a thriller writer their job is not basically to take all the conventions of the genre and put them to them together in an interesting way there still has to be a storytelling component there has to be uh something like a voice that tells a story in an interesting way and although there needs to be a rise and fall in action there needs to be tension there needs to be a little bit of i want to say movie magic but like narrative magic where uh certain things are held back or put told in a certain order that makes it a thriller it makes it thrilling and I don't, I don't feel like his book did that. It delivered the information in an order that makes sense, but it didn't do it any justice in terms of making it thrilling. Right, and in knowing his background and knowing his how he how he researched that book, it kind of makes sense because it's like it does. It it was you get you get the impression that the hunt for Red October was more of like an intellectual exercise for him. Not that reading a writing a book's not an intellectual exercise, but you get the impression that like. It was him playing, you know, playing out a scenario that maybe, and this is, you know, granted, I, I, so, so many people probably know so much more about this guy and his his ideas and attitudes on writing. Right, but, in, right into uh, at dadletpodcast at gmail dot com yeah. if you have more experience with Tom Clancy and would like to tell us that we don't know a goddamn thing and that we're wrong. But he doesn't seem like, um, I don't know. It just seems like it was an exercise. You know what I mean? Like it was like a, it was an exercise for him. It's more like a presentation, yeah. Um, uh, it's so funny because I can contrast that, or actually rather compare and contrast that with Clive Cussler, where Clive Cussler seems like he does an enormous amount of homework into the history of something, like a, a shipwreck or an event, um, and then writes the most pulpy adventure around it. And it's so interesting where he has, like, it feels like he has so much fun with the escapism, but he still does the homework. Yeah. Uh, he seems like he yeah. loves his characters, Whereas the 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 Clancy character a little too much, the Clancy characters are kind of like 
I don't know, the, some of the relationships were interesting, like the Admiral and Jack Ryan kind of had this neat, you know, father-son type thing, but I just didn't think that they were very, like, interesting characters, you know, they were all no. just... Especially after seeing the movie, where yeah. everyone is portrayed by a, a fucking powerhouse actor, um, even, like, Pelt is played by a famous actor, and... Uh, you they they all provide such a wonderful performance and provide such a heart to the characters that just isn't present in the book i think the the only character that really stood out to me as being like uh charismatic was jonesy and yeah like a few yeah. a few interactions with some of the russians and stuff but like a lot of them just blended together or were bland and uh just served a purpose they were there to Serve a role or deliver a line and move on. I will say I I read a I've, I talk about this book all the time, but the Dogs of War, which is kind of like an exercise in like carrying out a mercenary you know based coup in an African nation. I mean it is uh, the author Frederick Forsyth has talked about like there it is. I was about to I was I picked up my phone to Google it because I'm like I swear to God if this is a Forsyth novel because you won't shut up. Do you want to do him next? Do you want to cover a Forsyth book? Well, if we do, you're gonna read. Pro- I I will tell you this. You'll you'll really like this book. If we if we do the Day of the Jackal, you really like it. But I was just com- well, I don't want to do a, the Day of the Jackal because I know like kind of that story. I've seen the movie and stuff, but like. I'd, I'd rather do a different one, but like, why not do... Dogs of War? If that's the one you're talking about right now, well, go on. I'm I will sorry say to interrupt you. it is a it is like I say, like a logistical thriller. It's all like preparation. There is like the the execution of of the military uh, mission at the end, but somehow it's a little more compelling. The characters are a little more interesting. Maybe that's the big flaw in Tom Clancy in the in the Hunt for Red October. Is I didn't even Marco Ramius was not as charming as the Sean Connery version. I thought he was interesting. None, but, like I said, yeah. when you put any of those actors in those roles, they're going to be more charming than the paper version. Next question. Now that we've been doing it a while, what are some things you like about it? Like what I, I would hope that you enjoy doing this with me. Well, um, I enjoy that. I get to have like a, you know, Chris and I are good friends. We, you know, we don't just do, you know, we, we, we're friends outside of the podcast. So I, I, but I appreciate, you know, uh, I've never seen this man before. He's <laughs> holding me hostage. Yeah. Just I'm pointing the gun at him. Like, man, we're, we're best, best of pals. Po- I'll poke you in the ribs with the, this like silence pistol. Like, oh, oh, yes, yes, we are. But, um, no, it's nice that silence pistol. Why don't you have a Sten gun? I was thinking after I said it, I, <laughs> but as I, as I'll talk about later, I may have a new, passion which is the schmeiser uh machine pistol but um anyways Wait, are you cheating on the sten gun listen don't get me started because i'll go back to the dogs of war there's a whole schmeiser sequence uh I'll, I'll be talking about later don't don't be a gun schmeiser all right um, um but i will say it's nice you know having um being able to do something with your friend and as we get busier mm-hmm. you know as we get older and busier and you know like you know, I'm like, we're both in our 30s. We're not like, you know, in our early 20s anymore. Like, we have jobs and everything. Uh, which sucks. Oh, my God. This would have been it. so much easier to do in college. But it's a nice... I've found that, like, as you get older, um, your friendships, you kind of have to, like, work to keep... To, to maintain them. You know, it's like... It's not like when everyone lived in the same town and you just see each other every day at high school. You kind of have to, like, make a point to stay in touch with people. 
And sometimes it's difficult if you, you know, if you don't, if you don't have activities you can do with them, you know? Well, and certainly when people move away into like different states and things, not just talking about you, but like I've had a lot of people, a lot of my friends move to different states and it's really hard to continue those friendships when you don't really have shared activities. And uh, like you said, people get busy and you get, you know, so rooted in a different place with different activities and different hobbies and things. And um, I'm sure this is kind of what you're you're getting to. But yeah. Like, it, this has been a great activity to, for us to do to keep us in touch with each other and continue this friendship. And I, yeah. it's invaluable to me. Um, Same. And and al- yeah. also, it's nice to have um, a kind of like an output for for my hobby and your hobby of, of reading and collecting and studying literature it's nice to have kind of like a project to apply all of the the knowledge and reading that we do you know to and and there's a you know a podcast episode that comes out of it not that i don't think that not that it's just like there's obviously reading for the pleasure of reading's nice but it's kind of fun to talk about you know it's like number one it's fun to talk, talk about number two it's fun to like you know um to have an outlet for like your critical, your critical, you yeah, know, uh, yeah. thoughts about something. Right. Uh, and like in many ways, that's why I want to write that essay about that show. And like, uh, like I have all of these thoughts about this thing that I was passionate about when I was younger. And now there's like a remake and I'm passionate about it, but in a different way. And I want to get those thoughts out on paper because there's not many people that I can hold their ear for that long as I rant about this stupid thing. But like, uh, this has just been an extension of what we did when we lived in the same town. Like you and I would meet up at a bar and talk about books and stuff. And here I am drinking a gin and tonic talking to you about books. So Mm -hmm. it's just a screen in front of us rather than the smoky air of a bar. Yeah. Yeah. Those were the, we talked about it before, you know, I think in our little episode about Florida, we talked a little bit about Florida life and, uh, you know, oh it's, God. uh, those were the days they were, uh, you know, that was funny. Back then was fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, as per my question, some things that I've been enjoying about it. Um, I, I enjoy that we've been, I've been reading books that I probably wouldn't normally otherwise have read. Um, I mean, certainly the ones that I'm already familiar with, Lee Child and Clive Cussler, but there's a lot of other authors and other books that we've covered that I just wouldn't have sought out or wouldn't have maybe given a try, even with like a recommendation from you. So that's been interesting. It's it's always nice experiencing new things, um, but also the editing. Um, it's a double-edged sword for me because it takes time and I have trouble scheduling it and sitting down to do it, but like... I, any sort of creative pursuit, I enjoy putting my talent to, and I've, I've found that I enjoy the process of the editing of like, I could just go through easily and just go cut out this break, cut out this mistake, cut out this, um, cut out this, uh, done post it. Or I could use a program where it's like, there's, there's certain things in audible and other programs where you can just cut out all like gaps in like audio or any if there's any like a pause it'll cut that out but i don't know i kind of like going through and finding every time we um or uh or stutter or stumble over a word or if something should be said before something else and cut that out and move it 
um, all of the like cross fading of the intro music and outro music and adding in little fun sound effects here or there putting in stupid ads like I enjoy all of that element and I feel like I'm slowly slowly getting better at it and I think it's interesting um, and I didn't think I was going to have as much fun with that as I have I am saying this after having the worst editing experience ever uh, so that must mean something. Um, you know, you do most of the editing. I, I, I've edited a few episodes. Um, cutting stuff out, you know, it can be hard to determine. I mean, some stuff, obviously, it's like, ah, this is just, you know, un, un, this isn't focused. Let's just get rid of it. Sometimes it can be difficult to determine, you know, what to remove and what to leave in. But uh, mostly, I would say the struggle is it's like producing a podcast is it's a it's a threefold thing, really, yeah. especially a book podcast. One, you're doing research, you're preparing for it. In this case, we're re- I would say, okay. Then in that case, I would say fourfold. So my the way I would lay it out is that um, you are reading the book and preparing. Well, and this is part of one. I'll say is that you're doing. I'm, I'm counting with my thumb. I'm not saying that we need to surface. All right, you're doing. This is a one. You're doing um, supporting research into you know the context of the book when it was published you know when we did the jack reacher one i had to do some reading about you know domestic terrorism and 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 get some background information three you're sitting down and recording it and you hope it's good then you know you hope it's you you come prepared four you're editing it and it's like Mm -hmm. you can you can blow your load (laughs) on any one of those things like you can yeah you can like which is why i think it'd be kind of fun to be like hired as a podcast researcher because it's like i could get so into this and i could do such a deep dive and that's my issue is like it's so it's so wild that for school i hated doing research for essays i hated doing research um but as an adult now as a writer and maybe it's like a weird form of procrastination and like a fear of success but like I get stuck in research holes. I want to research something for something I was going to write, and I end up enjoying the research so much that I never write the thing. Um, it's like with Hunt for Red October. I enjoyed the research of reading uh, the last um, the last Sentinel more than I enjoyed the reading for Hunt for Red October. Yeah, it, 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 it different ones are more enjoyable than other. Like different parts of that process are more enjoyable, but yeah. also like. If you do a lot of research and you do a lot of in you know the you record like a three hour episode, it's like no, you still have a ton of editing ahead of you, and it's like it is a and the longer the episode, the more editing. It's a yeah. production, and it's like it's a multi step production that that um, you know you think you're done when you're done, but it's like you're not done until you post that thing online and promote it a little bit, <laughs> you hope or promote it a lot, and that's like it's just there's a there's quite a lot to it, so I can see why more successful podcasts like take on staff members if they have like the the, yeah. the excess money once to do get, that yeah, once they get the success to have enough money to get a staff member um oh yeah i agree uh a part of me would be heartbroken to have someone else do the editing though 
Like, that's the weird thing is, like, it takes time, and it's something I have trouble scheduling and, like, sticking to, but I, like I said, I strangely enjoy the process, and I know how I want the piece to sound and feel like I, I have an idea of what I want the final product to be and handing that off to someone else is so stressful like even handing it off to you having you do the editing I'm so worried like oh no I, I hope he doesn't cut this out or oh I hope he knows to make this part shorter to be funny or oh man I hope this comes off correctly uh, and I get like a weird amount of stress having it outside of my control uh, and I, I feel like that would only in, increase if it was like a third person that we were having do it. I would also be reluctant to hand off the research as well. Not not that yeah, like no one else can do it, but it would feel like well, it's like what did they learn that I didn't learn? Like what what did what did they experience that they they censored and didn't tell us? Like and, and also I feel like when you when we're doing this, what we're trying to do is like share knowledge that we ourselves have internalized and you know have have done research to to develop on our, you know on our own you know and granted we yeah, have a lot exactly. of notes and we're referencing you know non-fiction books that we read um but to have someone else hand me that it's like yeah but the, none of this is like internalized to me and not that it would make it uh, by that i mean it's like yeah to me there's something to to researching something it becomes kind of part of you it becomes part of your your bank account, uh, your mental bank account of knowledge. Whereas if I just got like a, a some high level points that that we that someone else determined were relevant, I would feel like I would feel like I was kind of losing out on something, or I would honestly feel like I might have I might be re- misrepresenting my own knowledge of the subject matter, you know. And and yeah, I try and exactly. take accountability for like what I don't do and don't know here. And if someone else was to do the research, it would feel like. Hey, why don't I just read the Wikipedia article word for word? You know, that's uh, go. This is a question that I think you were going to ask is what do I think our best episode is? I think our episode on the Eagle has landed is the most entertaining episode we've done. Which one? The Eagle has landed. Now, this is going to be two, two. This is two questions. So, yes, one question is favorite episode that we've recorded. And you think the Eagle has landed is the your your favorite episode that we've recorded or you think it's the best episode? I think, OK, my favorite one that we recorded was probably the chase. Because we did that in person. Um, That's my answer. Yeah. The favorite episode we've recorded is The Chase. That in-person one was really fun. And also, I just like that book. Yeah, um, yeah. I do, I do think The Eagle Has Landed is one of our best episodes. It's one of the... When I tell people where to start, I tell them to start with that episode. Yeah, I would do the same. I would say listen to those two episodes. But I think it's just because we had a really good vibe and like riffed off each other really well and i got really incredulous about nazis um, i just think that also that book is a great jack higgins like we were saying how tom clancy has this sort of like very you know uh technical hey, just curious how many hey, hey, hey curious how, how deep are you into that series now which one how, how deep are you into the oh the liam devlin books the... yeah how many are you in uh i'm i believe i'm three i'm three in all right, so there's a little bit of bias here. What do you mean, bias? <laughs> you that you really really enjoy that series? Um, yeah, absolutely. No, no, I I, I do think that book was fun. Uh, I don't necessarily. <sighs> we, if you guys are curious about my thoughts on the book, listen to the episode. You don't love it as much as you don't love Jack Higgins like I love Jack Higgins. I like Jack Higgins. I think that book is pointless. 
but should be experienced because of the way it's formatted and told. But like I said, if you guys are curious about my thoughts, listen to the episode. It's a great episode. You don't love Liam Devlin um, like I love Liam Devlin. That is true. Um, next question, though, is the one. The other question I was going to answer was, um, what is your favorite book that we've covered? Yeah. Um, probably. Because that's a different question altogether. I would say that my well, the eagle has landed. Yeah, that's probably the book I think. Like to me, that's one of my favorite books now. Um, okay. But I would also say the chase, because it's just such like this is like giving to to someone like me and you and a lot of other people I know, and this is just giving them everything they want on a on a gold platter. Yeah, yeah. And people have reached out to me like I, you know, online when I've promoted the book on Instagram, they're like, oh my god, I love those books. I love Isaac Bell. This is such a great, yeah. great character. They're so good. I've said this, and I've, I recommend all of those books pretty much. There's only, like, I think, two that I didn't really dig all the way through. Which is why I'm um, so glad I, 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 did, I, I brought that to the podcast. Uh-huh. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, anyways, uh, you, you, I know that on your stack is The Race, and I, I think that's a really good one, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Um, I, I also will never fail to mention that people – would like uh the thief which is another isaac bell book that's really good and uh the spy which is another isaac bell book that's really good it's the one that i started with. but anyways we're getting off topic again um moving down the list uh oh hold on i didn't answer that one so my the favorite book that we've covered for me is uh friends of eddie coyle okay it's the first episode that we posted and i really enjoyed that story and its characters and the way that story is told. Um, I think literally it's probably the best book that we've covered. Yeah. And, and um, it's also kind of one of the lesser dad Liddy books. And it's odd that we started. I was going to say, I was going to say it's the more dad Liddy book because it's like, it's, it's like a mob story and there's cops involved and there's like, sports mentioned and uh the the crimes are visceral and the i don't know i i just think that it's it's very dadly in that it's a thriller about crime and mobsters and cops and i don't know sandwiches <laughs> and the bruins and the red Sox. yeah yeah um moving down the list who is out of all the protagonists that we have ex- explored, who is your favorite? Uh, Liam Devlin, easily. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> so Liam Devlin is this uh, Irish... Uh, he's To call him a mercenary might be a little... A bit of an exaggeration, but he is sort of a um, soldier of fortune of sorts who appears in uh, The Eagle Has Landed, and he assists the uh, Nazis in their mission to kidnap or kill Winston Churchill. But he ends up being kind of a in, playing the in, middle ground in, in their in their in their plans to kidnap or kill the actor of Winston Churchill. Right. And he actually is more featured. He is sort of like the there there's less kind of jumping back and forth um because in the eagle has landed part of it is the story of him on the ground in England and the other part of the story is the Germans preparing for their mission in the sequel the eagle has flown it's more focused just on Liam Devlin. I think there is some jumping around, but 
uh, and the eagle has flown, you get a lot more of him. And I will say, and I may have said this before, the eagle has flown is is a good book, and there's elements of it that are just like really enjoyable. You get another pilot character uh, in this case. I do. I did. I did really enjoy the pilot. In yeah, Garrica. Um, in this one, he's an yeah. American, and he ends up flying for like the Finnish Air Force, and then somehow like gets shot down and becomes like a pilot for the SS. It's very similar Whoa, to that British okay. character who like is a um a traitor to England who was a British. Yeah. So there's a lot of of beats in um uh, well not I won't say beats but there's a lot of like there's a lot of elements that are repeated from from the eagle has landed that are repeated in the eagle the eagle has flown. And I think if someone looked at it and said, "Oh, he's just kind of recycling the story." I don't know if that was his intention or what, but I feel like that's kind of a fair criticism, but I still enjoyed it. I mean, I can say the same thing about Stephen King. Uh, there's a lot of the same elements of um, Salem's Lot in the book It. Both books involve uh, a person who had a childhood horror and then returning to it as an adult and trying to grapple with it as an adult. Um, both of them involve, like, a town that has like a, a, a weird beleaguered issue and a weird spooky house. Both of it has like um, a, a weird monster that is like preying on the town. I don't know it's uh, I, in doing the Stephen King thing. Like I had the same issue. So, but both books, even though they have those similarities are very different. I imagine the same is true for the Eagle has flown. Who is your favorite protagonist we've read? We've covered. Uh, can you guess? Since I was able to figure out which one yours um, was, I'm gonna see. You're, I, I'm gonna say Isaac Bell. It is Isaac. Bell. I thought you might also say Jack my, Reacher. My charming, my charming, charming boy, Isaac Bell. Um, I I considered Reacher, but uh, I'll I'll come back to that in a second. Um, opposite of Hero, who's your favorite villain my... that we've covered? Um, that's a little bit more difficult. Uh, it was, it was, it was harder for me as well. Cause uh, there's some interesting characters that we've encountered. And then there's stories like hunt for red October that don't really have a villain. I would say that my favorite villain is probably Bo Borkin from the, um, Reacher book. Die Die trying. I think he has a certain kind of iconic quality to him and he really embodies the, pathetic nature of like uh white supremacy in the united states and like how contradictory and hypocritical these people are and how how they're kind of like their their pseudo military bullshit is just like anyone with any ounce of of knowledge can see right through it and i like that that lee child set his sights on those people because i i'm i find them completely ir- like not just despicable but like irritating and and yeah. like pathetic it's like you got hey why don't you just join the army seems like he it seems like you just want to join the army you know but instead yeah. you want to play soldier and be a you know a bitch about everything so i like that he does it in, he does it in a very genuine way that, uh, no, i'm sorry not bo borkin Lee Child does that story and that character and the people that surround him very genuinely. And, like, um, I think they do a really good job of, like, taking over an area and making it believable. Whereas, like, uh, 
uh, I was so excited for the game Far Cry 5 because Far Cry 5 was going to have uh, it was going to take place in Montana and have like a, a group of uh, like a cult that took over an entire county and I was like oh this is going to be cool uh, and then what you get is like very shallow characters that aren't believable and like a movement that doesn't really have a lot of teeth to it and it's it's interesting to see that in compared to the way Lee Child approaches it and it being very believable. Um, and like all and you can see like the characters follow those ideals and there's something to actually follow. Anyways, um, good choice. Um, my choice, and it took me a while to consider this, but is the lawnmower man. Oh, good one. Who yeah, kind of resembles like how... Bo Borkin. Yeah, there, I, that's true. Um, I just thought it was so unhinged and weird and bizarre and is like a um, very threatening without seeming threatening villain. And like he serves the great god Pan and like is almost like a weird corporate villain. It's weird. I love that story. And I, I, I think that is a very um, scary villain. That's a, I forgot um, about him. Yeah. I, I was like, I went back through our, our list of episodes. It's like, what are some of the things we covered that weren't in like a named book? And uh, that was like in our Halloween episode. Um, who's your favorite author that we've covered? It's hard to say. That's hard to say because we have covered different kind authors working in different genres. I think, you know, comparing uh, George Higgins who was the author of the Friends of Eddie Coyle and Elmore Leonard? You know, they've we talked about that during the episode that they corresponded with each other, and you can really see the way Leonard is influenced by Higgins, and you can see how they both have a same style. Really, they're like very dialogue, you know, driven uh, street talk of of the criminals of their time. So, in terms of my favorite author that I've read. Uh, it's probably Elmore Leonard, not for the piece that we read, because the piece that we read, uh, I think we both agreed was like okay, but uh, yeah, okay. Uh, as, as of all the authors we've read, I would say that he's my favorite. It's I'm, I'm also developing a real affinity for Jack Higgins the more I read of him because I think that he does the the type of it like adventure thriller, you know, historical military adventure thriller, usually like a World War II era story really really well and there are there are other authors who don't do it as good as him so i think he might be you know up there but probably elmore leonard how about you i'm definitely gonna have to read more of both of them i want to read more elmore leonard i kind of want to do another um uh uh what is his name george higgins no, no, the character that Elmore Leonard. Oh, Ray, Raylan. Yeah, Raylan Givens. I want to read some more Raylan Givens stuff, um, but uh, I also definitely want to read some more Higgins. I would say I think Lee Child. Um, as much I, I love those books, and I like this is why I didn't say Jack Reacher for favorite protagonists because I like Jack Reacher, but more than liking Jack Reacher is liking the style of story that Lee Child tells. And I like the way he 
puts his characters into situations. I like the situations. I like the settings. I like the like Americana aspect to it. I like the per, the the competency of his characters, not just Jack Reacher, but mainly Jack Reacher. And uh, I don't know. I just like the way he tells stories. The way what we were talking about earlier with um, being able to tell a story well versus being able to tor- tell a story, you know, thrillingly. I think he tells thrilling stories. Um, yeah, he has a really good sense it, for what it, what when a, where a story should begin and where it should end. In yeah, where it should end and how it how it should get there, and the way making me feel about characters and making me uh, concerned and stuff. Even with a hyper competent protagonist like Jack Reacher, I can still feel a threat and still feel like there are stakes. Um, his 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 is. Stories begin in media res with something bad happening. Jack Reacher walks into the story. At the end of the story, he walks out of the story into the next story. And like, there's something really, I don't know. There's a couple that don't, there's a couple that don't follow that format. There's definitely some where the inciting incident happens because Jack Reacher walked in and like the story doesn't really kick off quite right away. But yeah, um, if, if you laid out all of the authors that we've covered and said, pick one to read, I would easily pick up another Lee child. Um, we've already, I already asked you about what your favorite episode to record was. Um, um, what are you looking forward to in the next year? Like what, what, uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to doing some Crichton and to doing some Grisham and to looking into John Grisham, um, and his representation of the South in his racial politics, Ooh, right. in his books, uh, I think, I think I enjoy. I've only read, I think I've read like two or three. I've I've read uh, the last John Christian book I read was A Time to Kill, which I believe was his first published novel, and I feel like I read another one along the way, maybe The Litigators, a few years ago. I've never I've never read any Grisham. I I know my mom has, and I think she's a fan of his. It's funny, my mom reads more dadlet than my dad does. I, um, I like I know. caught her I caught her reaching I caught her reading a Reacher book that, uh like a few months ago really and like kind of just walked I kind of just walked up and poked it and she's like what I'm like huh Jack Reacher huh Lee Child yeah well Lee, Ch- <laughs> Lee Child has said too he's like you know when I came up with Jack Reacher I thought it was mostly like this male you know this male fantasy was just to kind of walk away and you know just be this have your own individual life with no tethers to permanent responsibilities i can a hundred percent understand that i have on multiple occasions of bad days at work considered just fucking walking off and not owning a goddamn thing yeah but he said he's he followed it up by saying he's like i realized talking to the fans it's as much as a female fantasy as it is a male fantasy to do that so it's kind of it has a that there's there's parts of the character that have that appeal and honestly that's what drew me to the books to be well you 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 know your your recommendation drew me to it but i would a hundred percent read like not not that a male book needs to have a male protagonist and a female book needs to have a female protagonist but if he wanted to write a book series with a female protagonist and follow that same kind of uh like escapist fantasy i would a hundred percent read a book about nagley yeah yeah like a spinoff that'd be yeah, like if they did a spinoff about Francis Nagley, I would read it. 
Um, there are these spin-off Reacher books that are like the, about like FBI agents following Reacher or something. Have you ever seen those online? Uh, y- you we talked about this briefly when we did the Reacher book, and I have a couple of them wish listed. Uh, it's, it's called like Finding Reacher or something like that. Um, it's like another series that is like people that are like coming in behind these cases and like looking into what happened in like situations i haven't tried any of them yet but i kind of want to oh also one thing Um, i'm looking forward to in addition to exploring some of you know some new authors like Crichton and grisham is i will not ever complain about reading michael Crichton. he's one of my favorite authors i want i believe this will be the year of the reacher in space serial audio drama oh my god have you ever read any of of what i put what i've done so far it's in the shared drive I haven't yet, no, but I'm excited for this. Um, I might, I, if I finish this stupid uh, Moby Dick rewrite, I might have to do that too on the podcast. But Reacher in Space is going to be so bonkers. I can't wait. What are you looking forward to this year then? I'm looking forward to you reading Reacher in Space to me. <laughs> um, tell me a bedtime story. Um, no, uh, I'm looking forward to everything you said but like i know we talked about a couple episodes being different format um doing instead of just like covering one book covering like a theme and i'm looking forward to the things that we discussed about that like doing like a westerns episode and instead of focusing on like one western having like a couple that we talk about and discuss and discuss more of like the overarching themes in those kinds of things i know we're gonna do like a spies episode um and i i really want to do our africa adventure episode where we discuss like congo and h rider haggard things like that um i think those could be fun and a little bit of a nice change of pace uh to our like normal like book report episodes um also i want to do i I know we've talked about it and i know it's tricky but i'd love to have some guests on all right let's uh let's do our classic cast off okay and who would you cast us as if there was a movie made about Dad Lit Podcast? Okay. It would be, we would be younger versions of these actors, but I would be a younger Christopher Walken and you would be a younger Sean Penn. Ooh, okay. Um, Yeah, or I would be a younger Clint Eastwood. Yeah, you would. <laughs> How about you? Um, I cast you as Noah Weil. I haven't... He's uh, the actor that's the main character in the show The Librarians, and he was also a very handsome doctor. In ER, the okay, I know who he is, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I cast, for me, the annoying David Spade. No, <laughs> you're not Absolutely. David Spade. Absolutely! Uh, I was gonna... <laughs> I can see his voice just harshing right through a microphone. So, you know who I think of when I think of you, and then I... I... You don't even look like the guy. I don't, you kind sometimes I think when I see Tim or listen to Tim Heidecker, I think of you. Oh, okay. You're, you're Tim Heidecker. I actually, I saw a recent picture of him. It looked like he lost a ton of weight, but he, you know, he's sometimes kind of heavy set. That, that's not you. And you don't even really look like him in the face. You know, there's some, is Tim Heidecker, is Tim Heidecker the one that was in us? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I get Tim and Eric mixed up all the time, but yeah. Um, Eric actually makes uh, really good horror 
he's done like some horror shorts on YouTube and he did like a music video for this band that's really unsettling um well what are you reading right now oh okay so obviously Moby Dick and um the uh let me just peek at my bookshelf real quick here the uh Call for the Dead the the John Le Carre book um I think We'll we'll talk about it in the spies episode, but just to like briefly touch on it, I think it's interesting how George Smiley analyzes every situation and every goddamn thing. Um, even if he's not like suspicious of it, he'll still look at it as like a, um, like with an analytical eye, which is something that you don't get from like, say like James Bond. James Bond will just walk into a situation and be like, oh whatever, let me get a drink. Uh, George Smiley will walk in and be like hmm, this floor mat is crooked. I wonder if that is because someone kicked it or if there's something greater at play. He's here. very Holmesian, especially in that book. That book you're reading is more of a, it's like a spy detective novel. I did I did get the vibe of like Sherlock Holmes from it. That's, I couldn't put it to words, but that's exactly it. Yeah. But it does, uh, and it's funny because that book, the, 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 late, the other books with George Smiley, um, Licari kind of retcons the character a little bit. Um, and he has like a different, uh, domestic, uh, background with his wife and all this other stuff. In fact, it's kind of significant in other books like his, when does this one take place in its own chronology? Like what has happened? So I believe that's actually like... Lakari's first novel. Um, so at this point it's post-World War II. Um, it's pre the events of so is, Tinker Taylor is this Soldier technically Spy. Technically, the introduction of George Smiley. It is. It is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm even more interested now than I already was. And okay, there's another cool. book after it. I, I just I just thought that this was just like a follow up story from like Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. No, that Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy gets into um, much more of like the spy. It's it's a much more it's like office politics and stuff. It's interesting, yeah, but, but I did not like the movie. Apparently, there's a there's a book in between the one you're reading and the the, the they're called the Smiley novels, I think, or like the Smiley trilogy, and it's it is uh, Smiley again as a detective, and it's it is even more of a detective story, less to do with any sort of spy stuff. As you know, the one you're reading is like there's there's a spy element to it but it's a one of the main characters is like a cop in the special bureau and there's a lot of there's a lot it's a lot of police procedural yeah. which i love that character too he's really cool yeah I'm, I'm enjoying the book so far um but yeah that's basically what i'm reading there's like a couple other books that i've started uh, a while ago and haven't like picked back up but th- those two are my current active reads how about you well i'm re- i just finished a book last night called um killer and it was co-written by these by David Drake and this author Carl Edward Wagner. Uh, Wagner is kind of like a, a celebrated name in the horror fiction uh, world. He passed away. He was like a severe alcoholic, but he wrote you know like kind of like Lovecraft. Like some of his stuff is Lovecraftian. Uh, he wrote some dark fantasy novels about this character Kane, which is like a much darker and brutal version, kind of of Conan. It's like a sword and sorcery, but it's very, very like dark. There are so many offshoots of the Conan archetype. Yeah, it's the that yeah. sword and sword. Like I don't, I don't, I don't think Conan is even the first, but like Conan really set the bar and like inspired an entire generation of sword and sorcery books. 
and like the one of the guys that we both follow on instagram um that posts like books for sale there he did like one that was like all sword and sorcery books and there's so many different ones that he posted that look identical to conan yeah they they but so this is this guy um these two authors david drake and carl edward wagner they co-authored this book called killer and what it's about is it's set it's set in rome uh in the time of emperor domitian and it's about this uh oh domitian what a chump well actually i don't know who you're talking in this about. one he's like a brutal you know sadistic uh emperor who who loves the games he, he loves the gladiatorial combat in this this alien this like it's called the lizard ape is what the people call it but it's excuse me this alien uh basically like get the fuck out crash lands um and this guy he's like a retired gladiator but what he does now is he's a beast hunter and he goes and he captures like exotic wild animals to bring to bring to the gladiatorial right so he captures tigers and he's he's a hunter he's basically a hunter and the story is basically about the, him hunting down this alien creature that has escaped. Um, it, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of there's some Please layers tell to me, it. This I'm getting like the vibe of like Predator. Please tell me this starts as just like a straight nosed like like just about the Roman gladiatorial stuff, and that the alien stuff doesn't get introduced until like part way through. No, that's exactly correct. You, you're, you're okay. You, you get because I, I could totally if if I was writing it, you would only be slowly figuring out that this thing is not from this. Well, planet. you know, it's like, like a monster, and it gets introduced, and then like the a few chapters in, it jumps to like these creatures on uh, a spaceship orbiting earth like you know i'll send you the book um please uh, that sounds but i was like okay this sounds fine and then immediately you said there's an alien uh what there's some real there's there's a lot that stands out there's a lot of images that stand out in that book for me so i enjoyed it but i I read about it's mistitled i think killer does it a disservice well there's a uh i was reading on david drake's website um, the history of that book, and basically, he had written a short story and submitted it to for this to this magazine to get published, and they never published. They didn't want it. Basically, they rejected it. But then, like a new uh, editor or uh, took over there and was like, "Hey, I really like that story you sent in a few years back. I read it." And they're like, "Well, you know, Carl, you should you should finish. You should turn it into a book, and you should you and Carl Edward Wagner should like co co write it together." But at that point, Carl Edward Wagner had he had he had been popular. It's almost sound the way David Drake describes it is it's like his career was kind of like on the downward path, and his alcoholism had like really taken over. And basically, he says he's like you know I really don't like that book. I don't. It's just there's so much baggage attached to it, and and you know it was there. I wrote it. I rewrote it. Carl like heavily edited it and took all this shit out. And then it got published, like, with all this content that they just kind of took from my work and, like, didn't even tell me they were going to change it. So he has a really and, – and after reading that and then finishing it, I'm like, I can kind of see how this is, like – this book is kind of chopped up into various, like, sequences that could be, like, yeah. standalone short stories. Not really. They're not, like, vignettes, but they're, like, scenes. And I'm like, okay. it made it more interesting to me. I just enjoyed the book. It was a pretty, I mean, there's a lot of action. There's a lot, there's a lot of. That sounds so interesting. I'm, 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 
I have never had the switch flipped from disinterested to interested so quickly. So the version I have. Oh, that looks so cool! That is a I cool just, cover. There's okay. a there's that there's the, the cover version I I just showed Chris, which has um, the lizard ape like jumping, like leaping towards these two um, centurion soldiers. And there's like these Roman pillars in the background. There's another version. The cover art is like honestly one of the worst things I've seen. And it's this very like C- oh, you have to show me. Yeah, that. it's this CGI like lizard man, kind of like a reptilian alien, but it just looks so bad. It's just so stupid. But I got the good version. I'll I'll send this to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think this is a pretty good place to call this. Sure. Uh. Dad, you later. No, Dad, um, you later. God damn it. Uh, Dad lit out. To... Oh my god. Uh, one last thing, Connor. Before I forget, uh, we have official music for the podcast now. Official, um, official theme music. Um, it is a, a piece by uh, a very talented musician, Vidazin. V-I-D-A-Z-E-N you can find him on Spotify and you can also find um, all of his stuff at his website at vidazen.card.co that's card with two R's so V-I-D-A-Z-E-N dot C-A-R-R-D dot C-O thank you very much Vidazen for making this for us Uh, and we also have new uh, art for the podcast that will um reveal soon on the podcast on the the instagram and for our chapter art for or the the episode art for yeah. the episodes yeah absolutely and I, I just wanted to reiterate the you know the first time uh chris sent me the the music that vidazen had done I, I thought this is perfect it just matches what we're doing so i i want to thank him and just say he he managed to capture in music the kind of eclectic and weird, you know, podcast uh, project we have here. He, he, he gave it a really nice sound. So thank you so much. Yep. If, if you guys want to send us some, any questions about the podcast for our anniversary, or if you guys want to, uh, tell us we're wrong about anything, you can email us at dadlitpodcast at gmail.com, or you can throw us a, a DM at our Instagram, uh, at dadlitpodcast. Um, send us anything, anything you want. If you email us stuff, we might read it on the podcast, uh, or at least ad- address it. Um, let us know what you've liked about this year of podcast. Tell us your favorite episode. Tell us if you've read any of these books, or if you've just listened to us rant about them. Uh, and let us know what you'd like us to read. Um, Connor, do you have anything else for these fine? Dadulator. Deadly out. Get out of here. Just don't ask questions.